Good morning. Good to see you all here. Well, I want you guys all to know that Corrine and I had a wonderful anniversary. 25 years we've been married. I just said that to get the applause because I think it deserves applause too. The things I've had to endure. Yeah, right. <laughs> you guys all know it's the other way around. Um, the things that she's had to endure, and she's uh, stuck with me for 25 years. Uh, but it, it was a great time to get away together, and it's good to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter, you can start at 19. We're actually going to be looking at 19 jumping all the way through 22, believe it or not. In Acts 19, starting at verse 21, we see that this is where Paul made a decision to go to Jerusalem. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one too. But in 19 verse 21... Paul, at that time, decided to go to Jerusalem to pass through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. But this is where Paul makes the decision that he is going to go to Jerusalem. If you jump over to chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit... I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace." And so we see that Paul has a decision in his mind, I'm going to Jerusalem, and then we see his decision to go to Jerusalem is in line with the Spirit of God who is compelling him to go as well. And even though he's being warned, hey, it's going to be difficult, prison and hard times awaits you, he says, I don't care, I'm going to go. And I was wondering, and I think what I desire for us to ask ourselves this morning is, what compels us? What or who compels us? And, and what are we being compelled to do? That word compelled in another translation says bound in spirit or captive to the spirit. It's the idea of it has hold of him. What has hold of you? And where is it taking you? H have you ever been compelled to do something Whatever it is, you have a strong desire to get someplace, to, to go somewhere, to do something. One, one time we were on a little family vacation, actually we went to visit my niece who had graduated up north in Petaluma, and we drove up there, my four children, wife and I, in our Plymouth Voyager, and we headed up there, and we, we got up there, and we spent time with the family. And on our way back down, we decided, you know, let's go to San Francisco. We'll go to the, the wharf there. We'll get some good seafood, and we'll enjoy the sights of the city, and we'll go to San Francisco. Well, as we cross over the Golden Gate Bridge, all of a sudden, 
the van starts making this noise that it's not a good noise, you know. It's one of those noises like, oh, this ain't good. And there's this grinding going on. And, you know, grinding in cars don't go well together. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, we can't drive like this. It's a Sunday. What are we going to do? We find this small little mall that has a J.C. Penney's, I think it was, that had an auto place that was open. One of the bearing wheel bearings went out on the front wheel, and it was going to be a fortune to fix it for some reason. And so there we are at this mall. This mall was like the size of this building, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't a mall in any sense of the word, and we were stuck there in this little place that had one toy store that was like a bedroom almost, you know, it was just tiny, and we, we had to stay there for about seven hours waiting for our van to get fixed. Finally, the van gets fixed, and it's like, okay, well, what do we do now? It, it's getting later in the evening. Well, San Francisco's right over there. Do we just exclude San Francisco? No, the kids are hungry. Okay, we go to San Francisco. We enjoy the sights. We're, we're walking down the wharf. We're seeing the sea lions. We eat... Uh, those clam chowder bowls, you know, and the sourdough bowls, and, and all the kids are having a good time. We have some crab, and the kids save the claws, you know, because that's what boys do. And you find them weeks later in the van, you know. What is that? And so then we start heading back, and it's getting late now. I forget what time. It might be 7 o'clock or something like that. And, and we're driving back, and everyone knocks out, right? The kids all, they crash out. Kareen's nodding. She, every now and then, wakes up scared, wondering if I'm asleep. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay, you know? It was really funny. One time I, I was reaching down to, I think, just the radio or to get some peanuts or something to eat. And I'd lean over, and that's when she opens her eyes, and she sees me slumped over, and she thinks I'm passed out. She's like, ah, ah, and I'm like, what, what? And so anyway, we're, we're driving, and I'm just exhausted. It's probably coming around 3 in the morning, and I'm just beat, and I'm really fighting it. And I'm thinking, ah, I can't do this. I, I need to pull over, you know, I I, I I've got to pull over because, man, my, I just, my eyes are struggling. And I find myself, you know, staring and just kind of zoning out. And so I see a Motel 6, and I think, well, I'm just going to pull in the parking lot there. If I just sleep an hour, two hours, that'll be good enough for me to get going. And so we pull in there. Everyone's knocked out. I tell Corrine, hey, I'm going to just pull over and sleep for a couple of hours. She goes, okay, that's fine. We pull into the parking lot, stop the car turn the engine off, and I just lean the seat back, and all of a sudden, my son Samuel, I look in the rearview mirror, and his head was like this, and all of a sudden, the shadow pops up. He goes, what's going on? I go, we're just going to rest for a while. You, you know those prairie dogs that come out of the hole? <laughs> That's what I see in my rearview mirror. I go, no, it's okay. Go to sleep, you know? And then, how long have we been here? We, we just got here. We're, we're not going to stay very long. Where are we? And it just goes on and on. He will not stop. For 15 minutes, the kid has question after question. You know, what time is it? How long before we get home? You know, are we going to stay in the hotel? No. And finally, I just like, 
forget it, I'm out of here. And I just, you know, get, turn the car back on. It's like, well, I'm not sleeping, so I might as well be driving. And I start driving again, and he falls asleep, of course. <laughs> but that drive, it's like, okay, I've got to get home. And I was so compelled to get home. And I was so tired, but we were so driven and now it's coming on 5, 6 in the morning, and I'm driving. And it's, it's like you're holding on for dear life. You're just like, oh, I'm going to get home. And my head is just pounding, you know. My eyes are bloodshot, bulging out of my skull. And I'm just trying to get home, and I can't wait to get home. And, you know, I'm driving by my mom's house in Glendora, and it's like, I could pull over there. We could go to sleep there. No, it's a half hour more. We can make it. We can make it. And just to get home, and we finally pull in the driveway, leave all the stuff, the crab legs and everything in the van, and just walk in and just crash. Just, ah, we made it. I, I had it in my heart. <laughs> I've got to get home. And it hurt. It was painful, but I was driven. I had help from my children. I, I had to get home. Finally get home, and, and there we are. Well, Paul was compelled to go to Jerusalem. And from chapter 19 in Miletus, where he meets and has basically a, a pastor's conference there with the pastors from Ephesus, the church he had spent seven years ministering to. He spends that time with them, and from that point to Jerusalem is probably over 700 miles that he travels by boat, possibly horse, and on foot. Because he has to get to Jerusalem. And in this time, he's going through various hardships, facing difficult situations, including just being with people who want him to stay and don't want him to leave. And we finally get to the place where he arrives in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. Let's read verses 17 through 26. Travels all this way, finally gets to Jerusalem. And when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. And they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, 
We have written to them for our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat and strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men, purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice to, of the date when the day of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Paul gets to Jerusalem. He's greeted by the brothers there, and then they throw this on him. Hey, Paul, a lot of people are talking about you. In fact, there are thousands of Jews who believe in Jesus, but they're still dedicated to the law, and they believe that you are against their customs. What are we going to do about that? Here's what we're going to do. You are going to help these four guys in their ritual ceremony. It was a Nazarite vow that they took. You're going to pay for their offerings. You're going to help them to go to the temple, and you're going to be there so that they will see that you are with them and then you're on our side. Have you ever had that place where you feel like, it's my turn now? You know, I've been giving and giving and giving. What about me? Anyone ever felt that way? <laughs> One honest person. <laughs> this happens in, in marriages quite often. One spouse or the other says, I've been doing all the work. I've been giving. I've been giving. What about me? When is it my turn? When do I get my break? Well, Paul has just traveled 700 miles without air conditioning uh, on a cargo ship, on, you know, maybe mules or a horse, on foot in a hot, dry road, just so he could get to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, they said, hey, we want you to take care of these guys. There was quite a bit of money because he had to buy their sacrifices to pay for the lambs and be involved with this. And, and this is what we want you to do so that you don't make waves while you're here. And instead of saying, you know what, guys? Why do I have to do this stuff? That's not true what they're saying. Enough. Just stop it. He does it. Why? The things they were saying about him weren't true. Why is he bending to their will? Because he cares for the people. Because he, he does love them. Because even though he's gone this way, he's willing to go a little further. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 41... 45, Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus says, go the extra mile. Why? Just show them how much you really do care. And so Paul does that. He goes the extra mile, goes and takes care of these things, helps these people, and then does it result in anything good? No, it doesn't. Some people see him. They say, hey, that's the guy who, who we've been talking about. They stir up the trouble, and, and we're going to take it from verse 30 in chapter 21. Verse 30, it says, the whole city was aroused. And the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him 
from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, okay, just to let you know their intent, while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Thank you, Roman soldiers. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains. Then he asked who he was and, and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him. Once again, Paul, all he does was go into the temple, starts a riot. He's getting beaten up. They want to kill him. The soldiers see this uproar going on. They go to intervene. They find out what's going on. They see that they're beating this guy, Paul. They take him, and they have to carry him out of the crowd forcefully because of what was happening there to him. What would you do after this? You know, I've had enough. But remember in chapter 20, Jesus warned him by the Spirit there would be prison and hardship. He was even warned earlier in chapter 21 by Agabus, a prophet, who's, who took Paul's belt and, and wrapped his hands and feet and said, whoever owns this belt, he's going to be bound in Jerusalem and given over to the Gentiles, which is what's happening here. Jesus said in Matthew 5:43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus tells us that we are to pray for those who hate us, who use us, that we are to desire good for them. Paul has a history with these Jewish people. We see in Acts 9, 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. 9, 29, he talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. He's got away, doesn't he? Acts 14, 5, there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them 
and stone them. Acts 14, 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. And here, once again, they're trying to kill him. What would you do? What would be your response to this history in trying to communicate something to these people? And there are more accounts here. This is just the ones where they tried to kill him. Others, they just inserted and cited riots against him and different things. But we see five occasions they tried to kill him. They didn't just say bad things to him. They didn't just, weren't just mean to him. They tried to kill him. Five times. What would you do? How would you respond? Here's how Paul responds as we continue in chapter 21, verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out of the desert? Some time ago, Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia a citizen of no ordinary city, please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And they were all, when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. After being beaten, after being mistreated once again, being used, traveling all this way and encountering this, we see that Paul comes to this place and when he has opportunity, instead of just getting out of the way and getting out of the city, getting into a safe place, he says, wait a second. Can I talk to them? And he convinces the Roman soldier because he speaks his language and he recognizes, okay, you're not a mob person who I thought, okay, Go ahead. And he goes up on the steps and he addresses the people who just tried to kill him and have been trying to kill him. And what we're not going to go into right now is Paul's testimony of how the Lord Jesus came to him and revealed himself to him and how he desires to do the same thing for them. And then he says, and he desires to do that for the Gentiles. And again, they go crazy. But he speaks to them in Aramaic, their language. They're quiet and they listen to him. And what he doesn't do is come down on them, blast them, tell them, you guys trying to kill me, I had enough of you. He still tries to reach them. I don't know if we can accurately grab hold of what's taking place. If we can wrap our minds around what Paul is doing here, having been through what he's experienced, the hardship that he has endured by the hands of this people. And then when he has finally the opportunity, he says, I have come this way. I have got to tell them this. He is compelled. He is driven. He is bound by the Spirit to do this. 
how do we get that? How can I be compelled? How can I be so captured by the Spirit of God that I desire so fervently to reach those who don't know who Jesus is, even those who are being spiteful to me, even those who are hurting me, even those who are causing such pain? How do you get that? There's only one way. It's, it's not going to come through studying. It's not going to come through apologetics and learning. It's not going to come through doctrine. It comes only by love. You've probably all experienced it in one form or another because you love somebody or you love something and, and you know how easy it is to do things that you love. We've talked about this before. I can be exhausted. I'm, I just can't do another thing. I, I'm on the couch barely watching TV. The remote control is like heavy. I, oh, man, I just can't do it. And then my wife, you know, she asks if I want to help clean the garage. And I'm like, oh, honey. You're so insensitive to my weakness right now. <laughs> but my brother can call and say, hey, you want to go see Star Trek? And a miracle takes place. <laughs> I, I find strength welling up within me. I'm energized. All of a sudden, I'm able to go. I, I, I can go. I can stay up and go to the midnight showing. What happened? Well, I wanted to go. I didn't want to clean the garage. Who does? And the things that we want to do, we have energy to do. We have passion for. How do you have passion for people? Like Jesus said, aren't your family? that aren't the people you would normally love, that are the people who are trying to kill you. You have to have perspective and vision that comes from God. Paul had this connection with the people he was with. In chapter 20, verse 36... We see when he, Paul, had said this, that he was leaving, he knelt down with them and prayed. They all wept. They embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And after he had torn himself away with them, he put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. Go to 21, verse 12. When we heard this, and we the people there pleaded with Paul not to go from Jerusalem, then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What drove Paul was love. 
These people loved him because he loved them. Spent seven years with that first group in Ephesus, pouring his life out to them. They said, don't go. We're never going to see you again. That's too much for us to bear. The other group, after the prophet tells them, you're going to be bound and given up, they said, don't go, Paul. We want you to stay. We don't want you to leave. We need you here with us. We want you here. He loved these people. They loved him. Why? Because he cared. Because he genuinely cared. You know, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. At the place where Jesus could have been at his worst, we see love at its best. We see that with Esther when she goes before the king in chapter 8, verse 6. She goes before the king and she says, how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? It's too much for me to see those that I love hurt. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. The only way you can be compelled to do these things is to love. I had a young person ask me, how do I overcome temptation? How do I get past this in my life that is tempting me in the wrong way? And my only answer is, you need to love something more. You need to love something, or, or maybe more accurately, someone more. Because what you love, you will pursue. And what we need to recognize is, is what our lives are doing is they are showing us what we love. We're not telling people what we love. We are showing people and we are showing ourselves what we love, what we care about. What is the passion of our life? What compels us? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your work? Is it your recreation? What is the thing that you are driven for? That's what's compelling you. That's what's important to you. Is it people? Is it people? Our lives tell us whether that's true or not. And so... What we need to do is look and see, where does that fit in to who I am as a follower of Jesus? When Jesus said, you, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, if you care for them. But God, you don't know these people aren't that lovely. Oh, he knows. And he still loves you. A few years back, there were some neighbors Bars who got in a car accident, some young men. And it was a serious accident. And there were three, uh, three of the guys were in the car. Two were actually lived in our neighborhood, and one lived somewhere else. And I'd had some conflict with these guys and with my boys as they were growing up. They were a little older than my boys, and they weren't the best influence on them. And so I, I try and say, guys, you can't hang out over there. You know, there's drinking, they're smoking pot, they're doing things, I, and they're dragging you into this stuff. And, and I don't want you in there. 
when I heard about the accident, one of my boys came and said, hey, you know, so-and-so got in this accident. And my heart was like, okay, that's terrible. And I don't know if it was him or Corrine, probably, someone who has a heart, said, well, should we go visit him? And part of me was like, yeah, that would be the right thing to do. We need to go. So we found out where one of the boys, well, we thought they were both, I think, at Kaiser. We went to Kaiser. We saw the family, prayed with them, talked with them. He was doing okay. And then we found out that the other guy was at Loma Linda. He was a little bit more serious injured. And the other guy in Loma Linda is the one who I had a little more problem with, with some incidents that happened. And so it's again about 2, 3 in the morning. I don't know what it is about that time. And I'm in the car and we're leaving Kaiser. And we know that he's at Loma Linda. And Loma Linda is to the left as we're going to the freeway heading further east. And my home is west. And it's 3 in the morning. And no one could blame me for going home at 3 in the morning, especially this guy, you know, with the things that he's done. And as I stopped at that stop sign, or light, I don't remember, but I stopped and I remember thinking, your decision right now will show to your son what you really care about. You can either go home or you can make an impression and go visit kid in the hospital. And it was one of those times where I was just gripped. And I was bound in spirit. I was compelled to go see this young man. So I said, okay. And I got on the freeway and we went to the hospital. There in Loma Linda. I was able to go in and see him. He was in the ER. I went in there. He couldn't talk. He had stuff down his throat. He was bad shape. But he could see and he could hear. And I went and I, I called him by his name. I said, hey, I, I want to pray for you. And he reached up and he took my hand. I'm not kidding you. Days before, he and I had this little conversation. It wasn't real good. It wasn't the best conversation. It was a little intense, and I told him, hey, man, you need to stay away from my family. And I find myself there at his hospital bed, on my knees, holding his hand and praying for him, and him just squeezing my hand and me praying for him. Because I, I was compelled by the Spirit. I was moved by God to represent him. You see, Jesus still loves this guy. And you know what? So do I. I don't love all the things that he does. And it doesn't mean I have to be blind to those things or accept him or invite him into my home if there's going to be contamination in my home. But I need to desire the best for him. And I need to go to him. And I need to extend myself to him. If I won't do that, what good is this? 
What good is this? And you see, we are to have that desire for everyone. We are to be driven that way for everybody that we know, everyone that we are encountering. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, is peace, is joy, is kindness, is goodness, is patience. That is the Spirit that drove Paul. That is the Spirit that is to drive our lives. We can't change the lives around us by learning things. You will never learn enough to convince everybody. But we can change the world around us by caring and being bound by the Spirit and by loving. That's how we can move. That's what motivates us. Because if you're like me, there's nothing in me that wants to go street witnessing. Anybody identify with that? The thought of it makes me just it, it break out in sweat. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying for me to do that, I have to be bound in spirit. There was nothing in me that wanted to go to this hospital, but I was bound and knew I had to. There is nothing in us that wants to do a lot of the things that we need to do. What has to happen is we need to recognize where and where God wants us to be. We need to be bound by the Spirit. We, we need to be, commend ourselves towards these things. We need to be compelled to do these things because the heart of God wants to. And if we have that, then we will reach those who are not being reached. Then we will be able to re represent God accurately and clearly. Then we will open up doors of communication and opportunities to be able to tell. What did Paul say? He wanted to tell the people. Gosh, where was it? He wanted to tell them the good news of God's grace. The good news of God's grace. We've experienced it. Do we desire it for someone else? Are we compelled? Are we bound? Are our lives transformed by his love? Because that's the only thing that can change us. That's the only thing that can move us to do the things that we need to do. This is his commission. This is his command. How can we do this? Well, we need to recognize where we are. We need to recognize what we need. And we need to be compelled and bound by his spirit to represent him and to love. Love is the only thing that will motivate us to do things when it's awkward, when it's uncomfortable, when we don't feel like doing it. It takes love to move us in that direction. I pray that we would recognize that love would move us past 
our outward impressions that would look to the heart of these people. These people were trying to kill Paul, and still he wanted to give them the good news of God's grace. What an example. May we want the same thing for those around us. Let's pray. God, this would seem far-fetched and unrealistic if I haven't or hadn't experienced it in my own life. I would think there is no way a person can think this way and, and be so compelled and so driven this way except that you've captured my heart and have driven me at times to do the same. And God, I confess that it has not been consistent. It has not been as often as it should be. It is still developing within me. But I know it's there and I know it's possible. And, and I pray, God, that you would help me to, to love as you love, to care as you care, to see people as you see them, to take that turn towards them instead of that turn towards my comfort because that turn towards them is for concern and care. May you capture our hearts this morning. May you reveal our hearts this morning. Where are we lacking, God? God, if we don't see it, we will not change. If, if we don't recognize our condition, we cannot turn from it. But if we are here this morning and we recognize that, you know, I am not compelled by the love of God, then we can ask for your help and hold on because you, you'll take us and you'll move us and you'll direct us and you will change us even as we've sung from the inside out. God, I pray you would do that. I pray that you would search our hearts Reveal them to us. And may we leave here motivated to love as you love, to forgive as you forgave, to care as you care, to have righteous judgment. And not judgment that is tainted by our own emotion. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. Lord, give us your love. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name.